Welcome to a Friday edition of Canucks Talk here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. As always, my co-host, of course, is Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who covers the team at The Athletic as well. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. And coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Rainy Friday here in Vancouver. I mean, I guess uh, at least the road trip is over, Drance. At least they're coming back home. Or I guess the other way to look on the bright side is, uh, well, it was only a one-goal lead. Two separate one-goal leads uh, that the Canucks blew en route to losing in Minnesota last night. Yeah, I mean, they played okay. Like, I thought that was their best game moving the puck from the back end, frankly, uh, of the season. Um, you know, I, they're, they're a Pedersen post-hit on the power play away from winning it in regulation. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the Wild are better, right? Like, the Wild are better. You can hold your head up high after that performance, I think. It's just the stakes and context around it. The fact that they're the last winless team, the fact that it's another blown lead, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those make it hurt. But, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a cataclysmic performance from the team by any means. Well- in fact... You know, while they weren't the better team, they didn't deserve the two points. I wouldn't go that far. You know, they played well. Well, I think last night you're on to something. Because last night to me is a great example of how losing kind of warps everything, right? Like, I didn't hate the Canucks game either. I don't think either team played particularly well. But having no, said that, didn't. if you're finishing a, ro- a long road trip, right, playing your fourth in six nights up against a more talented team – creating a situation in which neither team plays particularly well, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, yeah, there was a lot of sloppy play in the neutral zone, not a lot of flow, not a lot of scoring chances. Okay, that's fine. And if they had managed to hold on, say, against Philly and Columbus, and you kind of muck the game up last night and, and drag uh, Mini down a little bit, then you, and you end up getting a point, well, that would feel all right. Okay, hey, 500 on the road trip. You know what? That was a tough schedule game for us, and we managed to get a point out of it. That would feel all right. You could You could be happy with that. As the fifth loss in a row, it just feels devastating. I think you saw that on the players' faces after the final whistle last night, right? It's it's just when you put yourself in this context, every loss is going to be so magnified. And I, we really saw that uh, play out last night. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And you do feel bad for the players because, again, I think they played well uh, last night. You know, not not great. It wasn't an imposing, do- domineering performance, but they played well. Uh, I don't know what more you'd ask, frankly, of them. Uh, in that, like, there's no player that I'd sort of go down the list and be like, they had to be better. You know, I thought, for example, JT Miller getting flack for the three-on-three shift. Like, he's already on the ice for 70 seconds when he goes to engage Kaprizov along the wall. And that's a desperation play at that point. Like, you mm-hmm. know you have to get the puck out, or you at least have to get possession back, or or you're stuck. You're stuck. So he plays it aggressively. I thought that was the right move in that situation. And you lose a 50-50 battle against an elite player who's fresher than you. So it goes. Like, you know, I, I don't even know that I would look. I thought I thought that was deeply um, uncharitable, frankly, the criticism that, that JT Miller was getting. I think the criticism that Quinn Hughes is getting is deeply uncharitable. Uh, Thatcher Demko. Like, Thatcher Demko was not at fault for me on anything. Like, I don't know a single wild goal that I'd say you want him to have that. You know, I, honestly, like... The, the fifth scoring chance that Kaprizov gets in overtime, um, you know, that, it's not realistic to, to ask him to stop that. Uh, the, you know, tying goal is just a beautiful read and a, and a perfect tip by, 
you know, the best duo in hockey at the moment. In yeah. Kaprizov it, and Zuccarello. It would be the Sam Steele goal. Uh, I think the 2-2 goal. But, but that it, hits Quinn Hughes. Yeah, but, and and again. Uh, I mean, it, that's a prime scoring chance created off the rush by Kaprizov. Like, I, I just, if, if Demko has to be all world for you to win a game, like, that's not fair. It's not a reasonable expectation. You know, Demko's going to have some games where he looks like that. But you're also going to have some games where you have to be able to help out your goalie, right? Quinn Hughes is going to play 28 minutes a night. There's going to be some defensive moments that don't look so great. But if he's playing 28 minutes a night and his partner is a career third-pair guy who, you know, gives it his all, Mm -hmm. does everything you could ask for him, but is obviously slotted too high up the lineup, you know, it's not fair to be like, man, that guy, he's really letting this team down. Like, no, this team is putting him in an impossible position. Demko, this team needs him to look like Hashik to win a game. That's impossible. You know, JT Miller, play 22 minutes a night in every situation and also be a point-per-game-plus playmaker. Like, come on. Come on. Oh, and never receive a pass in stride from a defensive group that can't move the puck. Like, across the board, the guys who are sort of wearing this, you know, aren't exactly in positions to run downhill here. So, yeah, I feel terrible for Canucks players that the, that it's gone like this to start. And I don't think it gets any easier with a Buffalo team that's, you know, absolutely beasting mm-hmm. the other Pacific Division teams to this point on their road trip. And then a Carolina team that we know is one of the best in the league. It's tough. They're in a really, really tough spot right now, right? And I think, again, that was it, – it wasn't just – well, impro- I mean, realistically, it was losing a fifth in a row and blowing another lead. But I, I do wonder if in the back of their minds as well there's a recognition that you, now you got to go home, right? you you got to go play your first game in front of your home fans. Who knows what the atmosphere is going to like look like against uh, a team that looks like a really tough matchup right now. I will say the only thing – and we'll talk more about the matchup with Buffalo throughout the course of the show here, but – Maybe the only silver lining. Okay, they beat a really good Calgary team 6-3 last night. Maybe that's a little good. It plays the Canucks benefit a little bit. You know, Buffalo's already beat Edmonton oh, and Calgary man. on we this are, road we trip. We are not – we are – are we really at the point of doing the like, hey, one thing in their favor is Buffalo is fed. They're well fed. What else? They're not what hungry what on this road trip. What else is going their way right now, though? Like, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, there's th- – look, the thing is, is, you know, their 5-on-5 profile's fine. Right, they've they've been a little bit lucky offensively, a little bit unlucky in net. Um, Their penalty kill is only getting sixty five percent save percentage goaltending. That's going to regress. The power play I thought looked great again last night. Right, the Bo Horvat rebound chance off a really really dangerous J T Miller shot. Pedersen wires one, denting the crossbar. I mean, the power play looks like it's an it's a centimeter away from breaking out. this team is still, I think, who we thought they were, frankly. Like, I don't think we've seen anything that should convince us that this team isn't who we thought they were. It's just that the power play hasn't been converting yet. Uh, so, you know, if you if you felt positive about this team two weeks ago, I still think you should have those positives. It's just too bad that they fell behind the eight ball right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't think this team has shown us something that should make us think they're different than what we thought they were realistically going into the season. A team that kind of needed things to go their way and hasn't had those things go their way to this point. Um, This is a first. Somebody texting in saying that we're such homers. I, I, I'm not really sure exactly what that uh, – uh, it, it comes down to because I've been very, very critical of their play so far uh, this season. Well, I haven't. But if, I uh, haven't. Yeah, but I mean – 
In a way, I'm you a, have. I'm a, like, like your have point. I? Well, because I think your larger point is that, for example, the defense has looked really bad, but that should have been expected. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that's a homer take. You know what I mean? You're saying um, that you have nothing has surprised you necessarily, but that, that you're still seeing major flaws in the lineup. Yeah, but the major flaws we knew were there exactly. have reared the, their head to some extent. To me, and, that's not a homer take. You know what I mean? That's that's not like showering the team with positivity. That's saying, no. yes, I expected them to struggle in this way. Uh, anyway, But I didn't expect them to lose to Philadelphia and Columbus. Sure. Right? I mean, sure. they have underperformed even my low expectations of the team. But I also, from a performance basis, when I zero out, you know, I knew this team was going to struggle in the neutral zone and struggle to move the puck. And and honestly, that was one thing that I found a little bit frustrating about the game overall last night was I thought Minnesota's defense played really badly. I thought they moved the puck really poorly. And yet, you know, the last 10 minutes of the game, you can just see them begin to wrestle all sense of control from Vancouver, right? Like Vancouver had two scoring chances in the third period. This has been a trend. We've talked about this mm -hmm. after the Edmonton game. We've talked about it after the Washington Capitals game. I've, I've discussed it as a good team patting the Canucks on the head in the past. And it felt like that again last night, except on steroids, like the worst example we've seen yet of it. And this is what it looks like. And, and I really urge Canucks fans to try and watch this team critically when they play against other opponents that can do this a little bit. The Wild would take a puck that the Canucks had had to just get out of their zone, push the battle into the neutral zone territorially. And you calmly go D to D, you know, you regroup the forward slash and you find a guy in stride and boom, Kaprizov's back in the neutral, back in the offensive zone with control. Right. And they were repeatedly finding these like layup entries that made the wild, like the wild aren't, they have a couple burners, some guys like Matt Boldy, but like the, you know, Kaprizov and Zuccarello are not burners, but they looked so fast against the Vancouver Canucks every time out. And Vancouver's forwards always look slower than they are because they don't get the benefit of those types of like layup entries. They're like the hockey equivalent of a screen pass, <laughs> you know, that, that just like helps the forward uh, mm. get 10 yards, pad their stats, get that get that momentum going in a driver in, in a period to complete my twisted sports metaphor. And so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking like, you know, JT Miller didn't catch the eye very often. His line didn't generate a lot. But he's also never getting passes like this, nor is he, you know, getting passes back from a guy who got the pass like that, nor is he, you know, getting in on the entry and turning around and finding a defender who's beaten a forward up the ice to create a four on three. Like, to some extent, some of the players' individual struggles are a product of the team environment, and the team environment is what's letting this club down. I mean, it all. So much of it comes down to the blue line. Now, with JT Miller, I think you could easily make the case that, like, well, Pedersen's finding a way to be effective through the neutral zone, right? Even Bo Horvat has been more effective than JT Miller. There is obviously well, only only modestly five on five, like five on five. Yeah, I think five on five. Bo Horvat, I think, and JT Miller. I don't think there's a lot to choose from except that Bo Horvat's finishing his chances, and JT Miller's not. I, I've, I thought even last night, Bo Horvat did a lot more in terms of zone entries, in terms of generating actual scoring chances than than JT Miller's line did, and it just it just hasn't a been little there bit. at all for a JT Miller. Bit. He's been completely ineffective in that end of the ice. And I don't disagree with your point about you know creating the environment to allow him uh, to be more effective, but. But the yeah. Horvat bull rush, like, again, I, I think 
we expect Bo Horvat to be more of a neutral zone driver, don't we? We should. Yeah. Bo Horvat's really, really good with the puck on his stick protecting it. Like, he's got a wide frame. He uses it well. He's fast. You know, like, he, he's always been dangerous off the rush. JT Miller's not the same type of rush player. JT Miller's like a thinking man's playmaking, slow the game down type. Like, that's always been his game, uh, especially once he moved to center, right? As, as a winger, it was a little different. But, you know, I don't think we should be shocked by that. I'm just saying five on five. I don't know that Horvat. I don't know that any Canucks forward has been a consistent threat game in, game out, except for Pedersen. Yeah, Pedersen. Like, I think I think it's Pedersen and everyone else in terms of who can make this work five on five. Right now, it's really only Pedersen every night. But I like I, I completely understand your point, Drancer, about the defense and the way it's letting down the forwards. Like, no doubt about it. And we knew that was going to be an issue. But again, just to come back to JT Miller. You know, he was able, like, it's not as if he was getting this incredible, these incredible exit passes with speed through the neutral zone last season, right? It was, it's pretty much the same defense score, and he was able to put up 99 points last year. He was able to be consistently dangerous. I wasn't expecting him to do that again, but I don't think this is just, oh, well, you know, what, you know, like a, a striker not getting service in football, right? I think this is also falls on JT Miller because, again, it's not as if the environment has changed that much around him. It's a very similar environment that he was able to have success in last year. And, look, I would still bet on JT Miller to, like, for the rest of the season be something close to a point-per-game player. But I also think if you're diagnosing what's went what's gone wrong and, you know, not just focusing on the three-on-three goal last, uh, last night but looking at his overall impact – this is a guy that you were counting on to be your number one center, right? You've already moved him away out of the matchup role, but you're still counting on him to be a guy who can generate consistent offense for you. He was able to do it with this defense core last year, and he just has not even come close to doing it. Uh, but for, was it for this season? But was it reasonable to expect? Like, is it reasonable to expect a guy who's you know he spent 20 games as a center in 2021? Until that point in his career, until the until the COVID shortened season, he'd been a winger who occasionally played center for injury filling reasons, right? And so he moves to center for the sort of second half of the 2021 season after the Pedersen injury and performs well, but not great, right? Like he was a top six caliber center, not a first line center. So really his sample of games being the player you're describing is like 65 games long, right? Um and he had like a 14% on ice shooting clip <laughs> in front of the best goaltending in the league. Well, this year, this year, uh, the shooting clip's down to nine. The save percentage when JT Miller's on the ice is down to 8.85 or 8.86 uh, on ice save, uh, save percentage. So, you know, you're, you're noticing fewer goals one way. You're noticing more the other way. Uh, there is, you know, some soft things going on in terms of his underlying data for sure. His expected goals clip is... Uh, 27.8%. That's unbelievably <laughs> <Not> bad. <laughs> that's, uh, that's that, you know, honestly, that gets into the realm of the unplayable, right? Like uh, of, uh, of an emergency fix, like of something that will kill your chances to win, but I don't expect it to last, right? Like I, I know that JT Miller is not that guy. Um, so that's not something that I'm going to sort of put on him, like hang around his neck, but yeah, he has to be better. I'm not saying he doesn't so much as, you know, I just think focusing on one of this team's best players and sort of pinpointing that as the reason they're losing uh, is to miss the forest for the trees here, particularly given that like JT Miller is far from the only guy who had a career year last year who has not started 
the first two weeks of the season looking like the stud player he was last year. Like, Austin Matthews is probably going to score 60 goals. He's at least going to score 50. He has one in four games. Well, or one in five games. Well, the Leafs are three and two. You know, like, it's not solely on JT Miller that this team is winless. He's being asked to do an, an intense amount. Far too intense. And I just sort of think some of it has to come down to were our expectations of him recreating last season unrealistic? And I, I would strongly suggest yes, which isn't new. Like, that's not a new take for me either, <laughs> Jamie. Well, here's the thing. I, I was never expecting, okay, this is who he is. He's a, he's a consistent, you know, 90-plus point first-line center. That was never my expectation. The, the team's scoring chances at 5-on-5 five five with him on the ice, he is the worst rate of any of their forwards, right? Like, that's the issue for me. It's not, yeah, okay, his shooting percentage is going to regress. His on-ice shooting percentage is going to regress. I understand that. He also is, it, but this is not a case of bad puck luck, right? Like, this is a little less puck luck and also not generating anything and also giving up way too much on the other end. Look, he'll be better than this. Of course he will. But you can't, I don't think you can kind of, hand wave away his performance so far not 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 that i'm saying you're necessarily doing that it's just if you're gonna like list issues for what's been wrong with this team he is right near the top it's that and the defense and you're saying they're intertwined totally accept that but i i don't think it can just be oh well you know yeah there was a little bit of regression expected this is well beyond i think what a reasonable regression could have been expected for jt miller yeah, I think that's fair. I just also think the expectations being ladled on him and his role are, you know, extraordinarily intense. If he was pulling it off and being a point per game guy, you're talking about well, a that's top incredible. player in the yeah. NHL. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah that's you know, incredible. I, I mean I mean, even even after uh Boudreaux came on, right? Like even if you're looking at, you know, just the just the games that Boudreaux coached last season, you know, you're still looking at a player where the Canucks you know, it's like they, they beat their teams. He won those matchups, but it wasn't overwhelming. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, like the mm -hmm. expected goals margin was, was 52. Like it's not, it's not like it was 58, right? Until, until the team got really hot in those last two weeks. Remember when JT Miller and Alex Chason and Vasily Podkolzin were just like punking people. Uh -huh. They just became the Harlem Globetrotters line for the last two weeks of the season. Like until then, the Canucks had only outscored their opponents by like seven goals with him on the ice as a center after Boudreaux took over, right? Um, I just, you know, I, it's not like, I, I just don't, it's not so far outside the realm of what could have been reasonably expected for me. It's just lesser than, than we thought. And yeah, they need, they need Miller to be better for sure, for sure. But it's so far from just him. And so much of the conversation oh, yeah. is focusing on him because of the dynamics and the politics involved in signing a big contract in a Canadian market. And I, I just, I just don't know how fair that is. And certainly a lot of the criticism I saw directed his way last night, you know, if, if the criticism was JT Miller didn't generate enough, I'd have time for that. Yeah. I agree. But the criticism of, like, the the three-on-three -three play, like, what what else is he going to do? He had to go for it in that moment. It would have been a, a far too conservative call to just stay in position and save your energy and not try to get the puck back. Like, they needed to get the puck back. It had already been 70 seconds. Um, I'm not going to crush him for losing that battle, like, or making that read. I thought it was the right one in the moment. Um, and, you know, Kaprizov had something of a Sedin shift to win the game. It is what it is. Uh, lots of texts coming in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, Snoop the Dog 
Texton. Do you see home ice and last change as being a key to JT Miller restarting his season? Bruce can give him softer matchups until his games turn around, hopefully allowing confidence to build back. Well, he's already been moved away from the really tough matchups. I think against Kaprizov, he saw the fewest minutes out of Patterson, Horvat, uh, and himself, right? So that's a, a big change from where he started the season. Obviously, yeah, it helps a little bit, but you know, Boudreaux's kind of already made that adjustment to no longer use him as the the matchup center, and I, we saw that again uh, reflected last night. Uh, Kevin from Coquitlam says, it doesn't matter what he shows in the stats as his top six center. He was signed to be a 1C. He will be judged on his contract and what that means. Being an $8 million winger well, will destroy our cap situation. If he shouldn't be judged as the 1C, the Canucks shouldn't have signed him. Sorry, what, what, was he signed to be a top C? $8 million. Is not really is, number one. Well, so, well I mean, it's, it's number one center, but it's, it's like, like top low 30 end. forward. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's low top end 30, number one center. Top 30 among NHL forwards. He was signed at a first liner clip, not a one C, not a, not a 99.1 C clip, right? Like that's, that's an important thing to remember here is uh, it, it, it's a first line caliber deal. It's not a one C, you know, contending for the Selkie and putting up 99 points type deal i'm it's just not like that's just the that's just the economics of the contract he signed but again well not again for the first time i'm not concerned i'm not concerned about this team in the micro in that i haven't seen enough over the course of five games to convince me that this team isn't what i thought they were right which is you know i was saying I'd bet the over on 92 mm-hmm. five points, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think this is a team with a 45% shot of making the playoffs. Pretty close to a coin flip, although I'd fade the, their playoff chances if, uh, or, you know, gun to my head. Um, I think this team has exceptional forward talent and really good goaltending, and they're going to have an elite power play, and sometimes that's enough, but I'm worried that the Pacific has gotten stronger. That was always my take before. That's my take today. Like, I still think this team is roughly what we thought they were in terms of their overall true talent level. Uh, Some injuries on D have sort of lowered that floor a little bit, but that's not the reason they're losing. Um, Some bad bounces, particularly on both sides of special teams, have really cost them, and now they're in a hole, right? And so my points expectation is probably high 80s now but you know I still think this team is going to be fun more nights than not over the balance and should you know it's probably a big lift to get back into the playoff mix but they're they're gonna be close to what we thought they'd be going forward over the over the latter 77 games of the season my bigger issue is the big picture one which is that this team continues to limit their future cap flexibility right um diminish their ability to rebuild this prospect system with trades like the, the Dickinson for Stillman deal. And as such, you know, I sort of, and well, and their best players who are, are their, their only main meaningful expiring contract is a guy in Bo Horvat who has four goals in five games and who you don't get better losing. And then you've got this Pedersen number looming on the horizon. So it's going to make it really difficult to improve in the spots you need to improve to, you know, get better than this. And that's sort of the big picture concern for me is is overwhelming. But the small picture stuff, the how's this team going to fare over the latter 77 games? You know, I'm not convinced that this team is any different than the one I expected to see, which is a team that should at least get close enough to the playoff picture that we're going to see meaningful games. There's no chance 
no chance. Like, no chance this team's going to be in the Bedard sweeps in a month. Like, no, <laughs> disabuse yourself of that today. This team's going to get it right and start to win some games. And especially if Demko sorts it out, which he will, uh, it's, it's just that is that good enough as a plan for this team's future considering the ages of their best players? That's where sort of this team's performance in the first two weeks troubles me deeply. Yeah, I think the big concern, and I mean, look, we're going <laughs> to, I have a feeling we're going to have lots of time uh, this year to talk about the big picture and the plan or lack thereof and where it's going uh, throughout you the course so? of this season. Yeah, I think that is, a, th now that is negative. <laughs> well, now that is a negative. I don't know, because we you, always have occasion to talk about that, right? Tune and, in, tune in next week when we discuss the 2023 draft yeah. class. Like, oh, <laughs> that's boy. the most negative thing you can say about the team. No, because what I was going to say about the like the rest of the season outlook. And I, you know, Rutherford kind of made this point and I know we get the text a lot, right? Hey, it's only five games. It just happened to come at the beginning of the season. That that's a totally valid point, right? And Rutherford even kind of said, you know, look, teams go through stretches like these. You're going to have bad stretches. That's fair. The only problem is now the Canucks have already used that, right? Now they have to play 77 games and try very, very much to avoid another stretch like this. Like they basically still have a full season where you're probably going to have another really tough stretch and when you dig yourself that hole right out of the start, then you start talking about, okay, well, what point pace do we need to play now? If you have <laughs> another one, if you have another one, right, where you're, you know, two points out of 10, it's just, it's tough to have multiple of those. And they've already kind of used their one mulligan, yeah. right? Like, that's well, the concern for me. Well, especially because, you know, again, you look at other teams that have gone through tough stretches to start with. And I hate to bring it back to Toronto, but I will because they lost their $4 million goalie after one game that he lost. Uh, their their best goal scorer has two points in five games, right? Mm -hmm. um, things have not gone well for them in terms of the noise and chatter around the team. And then you look at it and it's like after five games, they've got six of 10 points, right? And that's how you stay afloat. Yep. That's that's what it looks like when a good team goes through a tough stretch. Um, you know, you, you pick up two of an available 10 points the way the Canucks have to open this season. And yeah, you basically have to play at the level of the Bruce There It Is Canucks now over 77 games just to get into the mix to finish with 93, 94 points, which is historically the playoff bar uh, for the second wildcard team since they adopted this playoff format. But as we saw last year, it doesn't get it done every time. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's not where you want to be before you've played it, your home opener. It, no question. It just feels like they've already like exhausted their margin for error. You know what I mean? Which obviously is not fair. There's 77 games, right? But man, it's just, okay. You've already kind of used your really, really tough, uh, stretches. You said before the home opener, we're not even at the home opener, Drance. Yeah. And these are the Again, kind of the, conversations we're having. The really, the really, really tough stretch. Like it's the, for really good teams, the really, really tough stretch is 10 games of 500 hockey or 10 games with uh, three, five, and two. Mm -hmm. You know, like mm -hmm. it, it, t t 10 games or five games with two points. I mean, that's that's something different, especially if it extends and it can extend now that the Canucks return home. Like they really have, they really have to have a huge sense of urgency in front of the home crowd. Uh, the reaction of which, by the way, is now a storyline, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk more about the uh, the home opener, which is slated to go tomorrow on Hockey Night in Canada uh, against the Buffalo Sabres. Maybe get into a little bit more of what happened in last night's game as well. Brendan Batchelor will join us later coming up at 1 o'clock. Keep your texts coming in, 650-650. More Canucks talk on the way on Sportsnet 650.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance here with you live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It's already blowing up. People are fi- fired up. People are engaged. Uh, before we dive into the Buffalo Sabres, who of course are the Canucks opponent in their home opener tomorrow night, a uh, little bit of interesting news. Our very own Randeep Janda tweeting just a few minutes ago a quote from Bruce Boudreaux. The Canucks are doing some off-ice uh, workouts at the Scotia Barn, and then we're going to have a media availability. Uh, this is the first quote I've seen from the head coach. And it says, Bruce Boudreaux and Jack Rathbone, we've been waiting for the home opener. He'll probably be in the lineup tomorrow night. Uh, And Randeep notes that Bruce had a smile on his face when he was saying that. So obviously a little bit of tongue-in-cheek saying that they've been waiting for the home opener. But uh, there we go. A good indication that Jack Rathbone is going to be in the lineup against the Sabres tomorrow. Of course, Riley Stillman leaves the game uh, with an injury last night against Minnesota. That opens up a path. Uh, for it to happen and you know we talked to the we we won't spend too much time on it because we talked about it uh, a little bit yesterday on the show the Jack Rathbone situation I'm glad he's getting into the game I don't expect it to magically transform what we're seeing I did think it very interesting that um, Elliot Friedman this morning on the Jeff Merrick show brought it up specifically as something he was a situation he was really tracking and working on as well right what exactly is going on here what's the resolution going to be uh, because you know if Fridge is on it like that that means other people around the league are really paying attention and noticing too Drancer. Yeah, how can you not? I mean, yeah. they've played eight other defensemen before him, despite an absolute wash of injuries. Um, you know, I'd read also into Bruce Boudreaux's quote that Dermot remains a little bit away. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, Stillman, there may be some concern there, right? Because I, I mean, I I do think Stillman would play ahead of Rathbone if he was available, right? I mean, don't you think? Based well, on what we've seen, I mean, he, he has. <laughs> he clearly has been so far, and. Uh, like I think you can make a case, uh, a performance-based case for Rathbone to slot in above him, but Bruce Boudreau has seemed unwilling to make that decision so far. Well, and I wonder about Pullman too. So you know, if Rathbone plays, or or based off of uh, Bruce Boudreau's commentary, that Rathbone seems likely to play, and the fact that he hedged a bit, you know, that that hints to me that perhaps there's also some ramifications uh, a little bit higher up the defense core in terms of some injuries. But yeah, I mean, look what. As I said on Donnie and Dolly today, like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. You know, like, well, like, oh, man. Your defense oh, man. is going to underperform? Oh, no. Yeah, like, yeah. like, oh, no, we're not going to be able to hold a lead with this young defenseman in the lineup. Like, oh, we might not win. <laughs> like, okay. Like, but what's the harm? What's the harm in seeing if Jack Rathbone can be a partial answer to this team's inability to move the puck from the back end you gotta at least see yeah and I think as you made the point it's overdue like you know you've made the point of one of the things you don't want to see from a coach is kind of like throwing their hands up and not trying out different things you know what I mean and like this is the thing that hasn't been tried on the back end you keep losing so at a certain point whether it's a young player you're scratching a vet you're scratching like whoever it is that extra d-man who hasn't been in, in for any of the five losses and five blown leads Like, at a certain point, you just have to give him a shot because you have to keep trying things. You have to keep uh, shaking things up. And when I think – when it's a player with Rathbone's skill set in particular, uh, I think that goes double. So, uh, glad for Jack Rathbone first and foremost, right, because it's obviously a really difficult situation uh, for him. I know your colleague Harmon Dial had a a good feature and uh, was able to chat with Jack Rathbone up. Uh, People can go check that out at The Athletic. But uh, I know a lot of Canucks fans will be pleased to hear as well that Rathbone looks likely to be on the ice against the same tomorrow so let's talk about that one and there's obviously two big stories here right there's the there's the matchup the on ice uh against the sabers who you know have just beat 
the Oilers and the Flames, they look really exciting, fun, this really dynamic young team. And then there's also the kind of off-ice atmosphere narrative. And, you know, we had this conversation a lot last year. Not going into the home opener, right? It's earlier. It's even earlier this year. But what is it going to be like at Rogers Arena? What kind of mood are the fans going to be? How are they going to react? And that is just a, I don't maybe not just as big a storyline, but it is a big storyline going into this one. And I want to hear from the fans on this as well, 650-650. What do you expect to see in that regard at the home opener? What do you want to see? How do you want fans to react? Are you going? What are you expecting? Let us know, 650-650, uh, because uh, especially if the game goes a certain way, Drance, I think there's an opportunity or a chance here, I should say, not an opportunity, but there's a, a possibility that uh, the atmosphere turns pretty sour tomorrow at Rogers Arena. I don't think it'll start that way. I don't think you know, so either. Fan, I don't think so either. Fans are excited. Fans are going to be excited for hockey being back. It's, you know, uh, likely to be a relatively nice day. It's a weekend. You know, it's hockey night. Like, it's a Saturday night. You'll have Elton John Saturday playing in the warm-up skate. You know, um, this team built a lot of goodwill with their performance down the stretch last season. Like, there were a lot of fun nights out at Rogers Arena last year. And so, even though the team didn't make it into the playoffs uh, you you would expect there to be some excitement that Canucks hockey is back in Rogers arena for a home game tomorrow at the outset but the margins are fine right if the Canucks the margins are fine and here's the other thing we Vancouver crowds can be nervous anyway mm. but like man would it be a big deal for this Canucks team to score the first goal oh boy right oh boy and 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 certainly you worry like if they take a 2-1 lead and then or 2 nothing lead and then the Buffalo Sabres get one back how much does the you know like anticipation the wincing anticipating a, a blown lead of the last two weeks come to bear in terms of the energy in the home building right and certainly if they get beat roundly like if they look like the Flames did last night against this Buffalo buzzsaw uh, yeah, uh, you know, certainly you'd expect the team to be at some risk of, of hearing a little bit of displeasure from the fans. I just think it's going to be performance-based. If the game is fun, if the game is close, if the Canucks are in it, fans are just going to be excited to be there. I do think it's going to feel way more high stakes than a normal home opener should, right? And I, I think even the last couple of games have kind of felt like that. Like, last night I didn't think either team played particularly well, but I thought the Canucks worked really hard. Like, I, I don't think you can fault their effort or their skating in that one uh, top to bottom in the team. I think it was uh, like a performance issue, but it wasn't an effort issue whatsoever. And I think that's a recognition on their part that they really, really desperately need a win. I think the crowd is going to be in the same uh, type of mood. I don't know if you've noticed this, but even like watching the broadcast, like even Shorty, I think, has kind of found a, a level of intensity that's that you wouldn't normally associate with like mid-October hockey because he kind of feels the stakes going on. And yeah, like, that reaction that you're talking about, right? You're up to nothing or you have a multi-goal lead and then the other team cuts it to one. That's the kind of thing where in a high stakes game can really re affect the crowd in a certain way. Wouldn't necessarily normally expect it to do so in an early regular season game, game six of the season. But again, this is this is the environment that the team has created for themselves, where even something as like seemingly innocuous as that uh, could potentially sour the atmosphere a little bit at Rogers Arena. Yeah, I mean, the fact is, is that there's a lot of pent up frustration in this market, mm -hmm. right? And there's a chance that comes out. There's a chance that comes out. And, and but yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's going to be results based. I do think this team still has a really good opportunity at home here to get the crowd on side. And yet 
the schedule's tough, right? Like, the Buffalo is not an easy two points anymore, and it wasn't for the Canucks last year anyway. Nope. Um, and then, obviously, we know what Carolina can do, right? Like, we know Carolina's good. They're not going to be on a back-to-back. That's not a gimme. Seattle's not looking like an easy two points either. So, uh, and then what? You got Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh so- and, and Pittsburgh, that's a home game, but it's a back-to-back for you, right? And, you're yeah, you're just down right. the road in Seattle, but still, right? You're traveling, and then you're playing a really good Pittsburgh team, and you have a couple The equivalent days- of a road back-to-back. Yeah, it's basically a road back-to-back for you, even though it's a home game. You know... Look, you want to win all of these games, right? You really, really, really want to win tomorrow night. But that Seattle one on the road, and again, not saying uh, that it's an easy matchup or anything like that, but with the short travel two days off before it, that's the one that kind of jumps out to me as, okay, that's the one that sets up the most favorably. But you don't want to be, you don't but, want to put yourself the in that position. Is, the problem is, like, if you lose the first two, like if you lose to Buffalo and Carolina, right, you have to do what? Something like... You have to do something outrageous. I mean, r- thereafter, like it oh, gets, yeah. it gets, um, it gets late early in this league, right? You'd probably have to rip off something like twelve of of fifteen just to get, you know, over five hundred again, right? Like that's that's how quickly things turn if you're something like, um, you know, five oh five and two after seven games, right? Like getting back to 500 becomes really, really really tough, really difficult. And 500s, 500s not getting you anywhere, right? You you need to be at, you need to be at uh, sort of a 95 point pace to feel comfortable about your playoff chances. So, you know, these are big games and yes, it's only five games. Don't overreact, um, but overreact anyway, because you really (laughs) don't have much more margin, you know, like you really don't, you you think about it, you know, you, you fall, you get two of an available 14 points, you know, the, playing 10 games over 500 is not easy. 10 points over 500 is not easy, uh, especially by, you know, Christmas, which is when we really start to look at the playoff picture as being relatively set. And and that's also when general managers with only about seven, eight weeks before the trade deadline start to make hard decisions too, mm-hmm. right? That Christmas break, you go through the Christmas break, you have a lot of conversations where you're not able to do it. You have some internal ones like, you know, that's sort of your timeline here. And falling too far behind, it's honestly, it's going to be hard for them to crawl back out of it without getting off the schneid fast this week. Yeah, and you, you just kind of think about, okay, they finished their first five-game segment of the season. You look at the next five games, so right, they would need eight out of a possible ten points to get back to 500 after five, after, you know, after 10 games total. Now that's probably too tall an order, but just to give you a a sense and it's not an easy stretch, man. Like we've talked about Buffalo, Carolina, Seattle, Pittsburgh, and then New Jersey who they they haven't been able to get saves, but they're dominating every underlying uh, metric and shot counter that you could possibly ask. That's not an easy game either, right? Against a really talented uh, fast team led by Jack Hughes, of course. So, it's a really difficult five-game segment, and then not long after that, you're back out on the road on the East Coast. It has to start. It feels like it has to start tomorrow night. Not has to, because there's always, you know, as we know, the weird things happen in hockey. You can always find a way uh, if things line up perfectly for you to crawl back out of it. But it's just, it's going to be so devastating, I think, if it doesn't start uh, from a team perspective. We already saw the emotion on display, on their faces uh, last night, and you can only imagine what it's going to be like if things go poorly uh, tomorrow night. Some good texts coming in here. Uh, this one from Cohen and Alice Arm says, for the first game, the fans should show support. This is our team. We are their fans. Give them a chance at home. And uh, along those lines, Lefty Dan from South Van says, a uh, standing ov- ovation for the team at the home opener. Show our support. It'll be instrumental 
in victory. And as you said, at le- at the very least to start, I think those two texts will represent kind of the dominant point of view from the fans, right? Hey, it's the first home game. I know it's been tough. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be at an NHL hockey game on Saturday night. I'm going to cheer them on. I'm going to be I'm going to be a supporter, right? I'm going to be positive. I'm going to do what I came here to do, which is cheer the team on. I think that is certainly going to win the day to start. It's just a question of where does it go beyond that, right? It's going to be impatient, right? Yeah. And I think it's going to be an impatient crowd. I think this is an impatient market. I just don't think it's impatient in the way that this organization has read it uh, repeatedly over the years. It's not... I don't think impatient for playoff hockey. It's impatient for a plan that people understand feel is coherent and that might deliver the Stanley cup that, you know, everyone in this market is desperate to see this team compete for again. Right. Like that, Mm -hmm. that to me, but, but it is going to be an impatient building for sure. In my view, Um, you know, it should be, it should be based on the results through five games. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Buffalo Sabers uh, in specific, and I know we touched on it with uh, Dmitry Fulipovich yesterday on the show. But I mean, it's really hard not to be impressed, and if you're a Canucks fan, maybe a little uh, daunted by the size and speed combination of Tage Thompson and Alex Tuck up front. That's going to stand out, and I also really think the one-two punch of Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power uh, on the back end is going to and, and really, really don't... jump off. The page. Don't sleep on Matias Samuelson and uh, and uh, Jacob Bryson. They're real top pair at the moment. Mm. Right? Like, young young puck moving defensemen up and down that Buffalo lineup makes them. You know the combination of some real burners and you know burners with speed plus a lot of speed from the back end, a lot of like youthful exuberance from the back end. Now that that can be a double edged sword against a Canucks team that leans on their forecheck to generate offense. Right? I mean. If you can get some mistakes from Buffalo's inexperienced defense core, that can feed your offensive attack. That could be in Vancouver's favor. But the the gap in mobility and sort of dynamic puck moving between these two teams on the back end is stark. Stark. And that makes this a really dangerous matchup for Vancouver. Yeah, it really does. And uh, the Canucks just haven't. And maybe you could even look at la- the results last season and say, well, they didn't really have it then either. I know you've talked about like the lack of a plan B, but they just have not found a kind of it doesn't seem like they have a coherent strategy for how they want to overcome those weaknesses right like it's just it, it, it's you know you flip the puck out of the zone and you you try to do I, I noticed they did that a few times against Minnesota and then you try to track it down the neutral zone but there's no kind of top to bottom all right this is what we want to do this is how we're going to attack a team that has the advantage in terms of speed that that has the advantage uh, in terms of moving the puck and you're gonna they're gonna face a lot of teams that that check both of those boxes right because they're not a fast team and they're not a team that's particularly good at moving the puck so you're going to have to find a way to compete with teams that do those things better than you or you're not gonna be able to make up the ground uh they've already uh, they've already given up here early in the regular season 650 650 again is the Dunbar lumber text line uh, Kevin and Maple Ridge says does a we support a rebuild banner count <laughs> as supporting them at the home opener tomorrow that's from uh Kevin in Maple Ridge uh, another one, Sterling Texan, season ticket holder here, going to cheer on our boys to victory. Tough road trip, better things ahead. Uh, you continue to get your text in, 650-650, again, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I did want to um, just take a pause here, Drancer. Well, not a pause, but uh, I wanted to make sure I mentioned this because 
you know, I have been critical of the player in the early going in the season, questioned him remaining in the lineup last night. Shout out to Dakota Joshua. Shout out to Dakota Joshua. And I also say Neil Zaman uh, and the fourth line in general. Dakota Joshua gets his first goal, makes a nice play to set up Neil Zaman for his first NHL goal. And look, it still wasn't necessarily that, you know, that physicality and that pushback. But if you can make plays as the fourth line, well, I'll take that over, you know, dropping the gloves any day of the week. Yeah. Now, I do worry a little bit because one thing about the Canucks third period is they only generated two scoring chances. Right. So, I mean, again, you needed luck or a power play to score against the wild when you're generating that little. Mm -hmm. And I think overreacting to the fact that Oman and Joshua scored and keeping Niels Hoaglander, who's far more likely to generate chances for you out of the lineup, is one of those Pyrrhic victories. Right. One of those things that may might, um, uh-huh. you know, it helped the Canucks last night, but it's not going to help them big picture. Keeping Nils Hoaglander out of the lineup is not going to help this team address one of their big issues for me, which is what they're generating at five on five. They're not generating enough. Hoaglander helps you in that area. He needs to get back in the lineup, period. Yep. And you're right. I mean, it is it's good for Dakota Joshua. It's good for Nils Amon that they were able to have that offensive. Uh, they had a great game. Yeah, they had a really awesome. good game. I would still, I mean, I would love to see, like, I know they're probably not, Curtis Lazar is pretty low down on the list of guys they want to take out on the lineup, but. No, Curtis Lazar's played well, man. Yeah, uh, I know, Curtis I know, Lazar's but I mean, I, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not calling for him to be scratched here, but like, if there was ever a time where you could see, you know, Amon, Joshua, and Hoaglander, right? Like, can they build on that? And then you give them a little extra uh, offensive punch to play with there as well. You know what I mean? Like, Hoaglander has to be there. But it's also, I do think it is heartening that those players were able to have, as you said, a good game and that offensive uh, and that offensive breakthrough. It just can't come at the expense of of Hoaglander being in the but, lineup. But it's, I mean, it how do you get will. him back in yeah. now? Uh, there's how no. Do you, uh, how do you get him back in now? Right. So, unless there's an injury, that's it. Yeah. Or until, or until the, that line plays poorly again. Yeah, especially against this Buffalo Sabres team, like his speed would help. His energy level would help. That work rate that's so consistent. They need it. Um. So you know, I, I mean. Again, I, I I'm a little concerned that the the fourth line, uh, the fourth line's offensive outburst actually harms this team's top six for the medium term. That's sort of uh, one thing that I'm going to be watching for closely. I'm also going to be watching to see what exactly Bruce Boudreau does with his lines. Um, you know, Bo Horvat's going now, right? You got four goals from Bo Horvat in five games. It's mm-hmm. pretty good, pretty pretty good. Uh, you got four points from Brock Besser. How's that even possible, considering he's not on PP1 and hasn't spent a lick of time with Elias Pettersson, who's the only guy who's made this work five-on-five five to this point in the season? Uh, pretty amazing, actually. And so, you know, I'm curious to see what's, what type of shape, uh, shape, shake-up excuse me, we see from Vancouver's forward lines after the five straight losses going into the home opener. Uh, you know, feels like a good time to rethink some things. I certainly would have time to see JT Miller move to wing. Um, you know, I think that's, I just think it's their best shot of having the type of top end that can do to other teams, what Zuccarello and Kaprizov did to them, what, what Ovechkin and Kuznetsov did to them, what McDavid and Dreisaitl did to them, right? Like at the end of the day, Pedersen's generating a lot five on five. He has six points, right? I mean, there's, this isn't criticism so much as you need to be able to win games at the top end of your lineup. The Canucks have been on the receiving end of that constantly. And you've got a tried tested and, and, and proven option in the lotto line 
that's just sort of gathering cobwebs as the Canucks kind of fritter around with this spread out three line approach that sort of, you know, leaves them changing their lines up almost every game. Yeah. Right. At, at some point, at some point, I'd like to see this team load up and see if they can win some games at the top of their lineup rather than, you know, taking a balanced approach that to this point has still left them as a one line team anyway. Right. Like they're a one line team at five on five anyway. Well, well, why not make that one line as good as it possibly can be? And the answers are right there. And you look at it last night. I didn't mind how Mikheyev played, but I don't think that's a fit with JT Miller. Just stylistically, I don't think that's a fit with JT Miller. But, you know, if you do decide to load up, maybe you go back to the lotter line or in some other way, right? You move JT Miller to the wing. Maybe you play him with Horvat instead of Pedersen, whatever it is, and you bring in Curtis Lazar. I mean, I could see, you know, Lazar, Mikheyev, and Pod Colson working pretty well as, as a third line, energy, speed on the forecheck, yeah. all of that, right? Like Or, or Pearson. Yeah, or Pearson, right? for sure. And, Pearson, and you move Pearson Lazar, Mikheyev. Sure. Yeah. Like, I think Mikheyev gives you an option so you don't feel like you're punting on that third line, right? Even if Curtis Lazar is your center on that line, you can still feel like, okay, there's a, there's a clear defined role in a way that we can get value out of that group. I think that points in the direction even more so of, yeah. I mean, at a certain point, like if JT Miller keeps playing like this, you're going to have to do something to spark him and putting him with a guy like Elias Pettersson, who's really performing is an obvious way to do that. Maybe even point putting him with uh, Bo Horvat uh, is a way to get it done. But at a certain point, well, you're going to have to do something to change things up. Again, the margins are so fine in this league that you just need a top group. And we're going to see a top group when the Buffalo Sabres come to town. Like we're going to see this Skinner tuck, Tage Thompson line that's just you know feasting on on opponents now they're probably performing at a level they'll struggle to sustain but that's for sure got a shot to be a top five or ten line um you know there's not a lot of teams that intentionally fatten their lineup at this point right like it's a stars and scrubs mm. league and the top top lines stay together for the most part right like there's a reason you don't see Matthews and Marner split up much there's a reason you know um that if you go look at who Huberto is playing with the Calgary Flames, if you go look at the Rangers top six, right? There's a reason the Rangers have a kid line, right? And then all their best players together. Um, you know, there's a reason that teams are looking to win at the top of their lineup because the best players can get even more out of the best players. And for, to this point, the Canucks kind of aren't playing their best players together. I just sort of wonder if that's... Uh, you know, the easiest way to spark some additional five on five heft and certainly some additional five on five uh, offensive attack. Like, uh, you know, you can notice it so obviously as Kaprizov and Zuccarello just slowly, methodically take over that game last night. Uh, it would be nice if the Canucks had an answer for that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, tinker with some line combinations premised on the idea of loading up the top six. Maybe we'll run them out later in the show, but up next. Well, and, and let's get them from fans too. Yes, absolutely. Send in yours. Send in yours. And with, with the prerequisite of loading up the top six, so all of Horvat Miller and Pedersen in the top, top six in some fashion, you can hit us up with those. We'll get to them later in the show. Brendan Batchelor, though, the voice of the Canucks here on Sports six, Sportsnet 650 will join us next. Uh, it's Canucks Talk. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance with you will be joined 
momentarily by Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Canucks here on the station. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And, of course, as always, coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec. Dot net. Keep your thoughts about uh, top six line combinations you'd like to try out uh, coming in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber uh, text line as uh, as Drance's dog makes a little cameo appearance uh, on the show. Uh, we'll get to those throughout the course of the show. Also, Bruce Boudreaux. With it was the- a bad take. It was a bad take from Wallace. <laughs> Not the kind of takes we're accustomed to here on uh, on Canucks Talk, um, but uh, we'll hear from Bruce. Another Boudreaux. bad take from my dog. That's right. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll hear from. Uh, is he in anything can happen in the playoffs? Dog uh, is that yeah, is that one is. of his it's, bad takes? It's it's debilitating. It's really yeah, unfortunate. Tough stuff. Uh, anyways, more of that later in the show. And again, you'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux as well. But joining us right now on the program, uh, he is the voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet six fifty. Brendan Bachelor, Batch, how's it going, buddy? Good. How are you guys? Uh, we're good. So, have you figured out what kind of uh, what kind of curse your new broadcasting partner has put on this team to ensure <laughs> that they are never going to win a game? Yeah, I, I've been trying to figure that out. Um, although it can't all be Randy's fault, because of course David yes. Jones called one of the games on the trips and on the trip rather, and and Jonesy's going to be with me on the call again tomorrow night for the home opener as Randy uh, moves back over to Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi on the Saturday. So uh, they have to share it between the two of them, I guess. (laughs) Well, maybe they'll win tomorrow, and then the next time Randeep is on, they'll lose again, and we can can keep pinning it on uh, on Randeep uh, for now. But, I mean, really, Batch, you know, we all went through this. The team went through it. The fans went through it last year. Can you believe that we're we're not even at the home opener, right? They're not even going to play a home game until tomorrow, and we're already kind of at this stage of the season and this mood around the team? Uh, I can't. And I anybody that says that they thought it was going to go this way is lying to you. And not, not you know, in the sense that, oh, would they have a slow start or would they have a bad road trip or, you know, like the, all of those things were possible. I thought they'd be below 500 coming home from the road trip. But the way they've lost these games, the way that they've had leads in all of them, and yet found a way to lose all of them, uh, it's, you know, it is historic. It's like nothing we've ever seen, not just in Vancouver, but around the NHL. And so it it sets up for a a uniquely uh, captivating situation for all the wrong reasons as we get set for the home opener tomorrow to see what the mood is going to be like in the building and whether this team can turn its fortunes and, uh, you know, get over whatever mental hurdle is is blocking them from having success at the moment. And, and you know, it's, it's going to be compelling to see where things go from here, both on and off the ice. Batch, do you think the issues are mental or are they personnel? Well... Both, probably. I mean, this is a team that has personnel issues. We've talked about that for a long time, especially on the blue line. Um, You know, this is a team that hasn't had a lot of success. So there are always going to be personnel issues with this group in terms of they're not a a good enough team to be a Stanley Cup contender. Um, You know, they haven't shown the way that they've lost these games like they're a team that that's good enough to be a playoff team even right now uh so personnel is part of it 
But, you know, I just can't comprehend what these guys must be going through right now emotionally to have all these leads, to know that you could have won every single one of those games and yet have come home without any wins and only two overtime points to show for it. That has to weigh on you somehow, and it has to impact the way that you look at things going forward because, you know, us watching the games and fans, right, media fans, when the Canucks get a lead, our first thought is, okay, let's see if they can protect it now because they've been struggling to protect leads. You think the players don't think that too? They're human. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think we'd be naive to think that they don't have doubt at the moment as well, based on the way things have gone. So um, I think it's too simple to boil it down to one or the other. There are a lot of factors that have led to this team, you know, starting the way it has, whether it be, um, you know, whether it be personnel, whether it be, you know, mental fortitude, whether it be bad luck. And I think that's something that has to be taken into account as well. Batch, when you, you said you're surprised by the results. I think we share that opinion, both Jamie and I. We're surprised that the Canucks are winless at this point. But are you surprised by anything you've seen in terms of their form overall? I mean, I think I've been surprised at how bad the puck management has been at times. Mm. And not that this team is ever a bastion of good puck management, right? Like we've seen that they've had bad turnovers and they've not been a great team in terms of, of, you know, preventing rush chances against and, and these sorts of things by where they turn the puck over. But there were sequences on that trip where I could not believe the number of times they were turning the puck over at the offensive blue line on what seemed like relatively simple plays and often in situations where they had the lead so that, that, to me, has been the most surprising thing, the puck management, because I think we all, all thought this isn't a team that manages the puck very well, but I have been surprised at times throughout this trip at how bad it really has been. I don't want to sound like I'm pinning the blame for the losses on Quinn Hughes's shoulders because I think by and large he's played pretty well, but I also don't think he's played up to the standard, the very, very high standard we've come uh, to expect from Quinn Hughes' batch. He's playing a ton of minutes. Is that the reason more than anything else that we're maybe not seeing the same Hughes, uh, Quinn Hughes we're used to right now? It could be. I mean, he was also sick right before the road yeah. trip, so you know that, that could be a factor too. I think they're playing him way too much right now. And, you know, I understand why they're tempted to, because when you look at, you know, what is left when you don't play Quinn Hughes, especially when you're getting more and more desperate for a win, it becomes more and more tempting to have him out on the ice more and more. But um, I don't have the, the up-to-date stat on this, but going into the last game, he was averaging just shy of 27 minutes a game already to start the year. And he averaged around 25 minutes and 15 seconds, I think it was, last year, which was about 10th in the NHL in terms of average ice time. So he's already a guy that plays top 10 minutes in the league. And you've added nearly two minutes per game to his average ice time to start the season. I mean, I know it's a small sample size. So, you know, as long as it gets corrected over the long term, it's it's not going to be a, a huge issue. But 
it is not sustainable to play Quinn Hughes 27 minutes a night. And as, as long as that keeps happening, it's going to affect his game to a certain degree, just because it's something that he hasn't done in the past. And I don't know if it's realistic to ask any defenseman in the NHL today to play that much all the time. Uh, since Bruce Boudreau has been here, and certainly since the new management has taken over, the team has treated JT Miller as a center, right? That's where he's been. But we also know he can play wing and that he's had a lot of success on the wing here in Vancouver. Given what we've seen from Miller so far, is it at least time uh, for Bruce Boudreau to maybe reconsider that and think about uh, getting JT Miller some time on the wing here? You know, with what we've seen so far, it's time for Bruce Boudreau to reconsider absolutely everything. So, <laughs> you know, whether that's JT Miller on the wing, whether it's Quinn Hughes as the goalie, like, uh, you know what? I'm open to anything right now with the, with the way this road trip went. But all jokes aside... Yeah, I think absolutely it's something they should look at, especially with Miller's personal struggles on the trip, uh, that he has in the past, and I know Drance has talked about this a lot on this show, uh, has been a more effective two-way player when he's been playing on the wing. Now, you know, the question that is going to come up if you were to do that is what about your center ice depth? Is Curtis Lazar suddenly your third-line center? How do you feel about that? Uh, How does that affect your depth? Uh, down the middle and, and the way you roll three lines right now, because it's pretty clear that that's something that Bruce Boudreaux values is that ability to be able to roll those three lines. But all of that said, that hasn't been incredibly valuable to this point because you're all three and two coming back from a, a five game trip. So absolutely it should be on the table. I should any other reasonable idea right now to try and, improve this team's fortunes and find a way to just get them a win at this point here's a reasonable idea jack rathbone um what are your expectations of jack rathbone should he make his regular season debut as bruce boudreau implied was a probability today out at scotia barn what what should we expect from him if he plays draws in tomorrow excuse me yeah i mean i don't want to set expectations too high for him but you hope anyway that, uh, you know, we assume he'd be coming in on, on the left side on the bottom pairing, so likely a place for, for Riley Stillman. So uh, more transition ability than Stillman has, I think, would, would be key. Uh, you know, I'll be interested to see about his defending because that has sort of been the knock on him. And I to me, it's why they haven't put him in to this point is because their issues have been defensive. And if you've got a young player who you think needs to grow his defensive game, then I can understand why you'd be hesitant to put him in the lineup when it's your team bleeding goals and bleeding chances that needs to be corrected. But that said, I I also think he has the potential to be much better defensively than maybe he's been given credit for. Um, So, you know, it'll all depend on who he plays with, how he slots in, how much they truly trust him to, to play him minutes. But, you know, there, there is the potential there for a big upgrade on that pairing if he can help them get the puck out of their zone because then you don't have to worry as much about his defending if he's uh, a part of aiding their transition game and making sure that they're not playing in their own zone as much. Batch, what are you seeing out of Bo Horvat in particular? Uh, he's got four goals. Feels like he's been a bright spot and, and coming along. Uh, what are you seeing? What's allowed him to be so productive, in your view, uh, in the early going? 
Yeah, I think, you know, other than maybe the early part of the trip where he had a slow start, I think you know what you get with Bo, right? Like you get that consistent work ethic. You get an understanding of his role. Um, you know, you, you get that tenacity to take the puck to the net when he gets the opportunity. And, you know, we saw him produce goals at a, a pretty good rate last year and late in the season, especially uh, he was scoring at a, a great clip. So he's kind of carried that form over into the, the start of this year, which is a great thing uh, for, for this group in, in the long term, And, um, he's kind of been doing a lot of the things that, that JT Miller hasn't been doing in my mind in terms of, of just having that consistent level of play. I'm never going to pretend that he's the best defensive centerman. Um, but you know, I've, I've liked Bo's game. I, I don't have any, any serious criticisms for him beyond many of the criticisms I would have for, some of the other forwards, which all comes down to puck management, as I was talking about earlier, and, and not turning the puck over in, in bad areas of the ice. And I, I know he got some flack. I think he got beaten up the ice on a goal. Was it in Edmonton in the first game where yeah. uh, where there was some criticism for him? So, you know, there's always going to be moments with Bo where, where you want more, but that's the case with most players in the NHL these days. But for, for the most part, if I'm, you know, looking at a list of my biggest concerns for this group coming back from the road trip, Bo Horvat is nowhere near the top of that list with the way he played on the balance of the five games. Uh, another couple minutes here with Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Canucks on Canucks talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. And, you know, an, yet another similarity between last season and this season at the start of the year uh, batches, the special teams being a major, major issue uh, for the Canucks. Now, the power play overall, the number is not good. There were some ugly moments early on the trip. I thought the last couple games they started to turn things around and, and generate some chances. Have you seen enough good signs from the power play to, to give you a little bit of confidence that a breakout is on the way? I, I have, but at the same time, I've always thought this power play has been too static and that is why it goes through stretches where it, it struggles and it hasn't seemed dynamic enough to me to this point. Now, you know, to a certain extent, it's never really an incredibly dynamic power play, right? Like we don't see some of the rotation mm -hmm. between players on this man advantage that other teams often do, but that's one of my sort of concerns or, or questions is, why not? Because I think the Canucks, if they did do that, they've got the skilled players where, you know, if JT Miller had to rotate down to the net front and Kuzmenko had to rotate into a shooting position or, um, you know, Pedersen had to rotate to the slot and Horvat was out wide. Like, these are players that can play in all of these roles. And I think it would create a bit of chaos out there and, and open some things up for them if they were more open to some rotation on the power play. But um, that said, that's that doesn't seem to be the, the plan. It doesn't seem to be the goal. It never really has seemed to be the goal with this power play. So with the personnel they have and the chances that they've created, they will score goals eventually. They have in the past. They will continue to do that. But I still do believe that it's going to continue to be streaky where they're going to go through stretches where everything goes in and they're going to go through stretches where nothing goes in. Um, and that kind of is just the, the way that a power play works in the NHL. But, um, you know, they – and, again, I'm, I'm the guy that watches them every single game. Mm -hmm. So they probably seem much more predictable to me than they do to even 
anyone else that watches the games, but I just think they're a little too predictable right now. And, and then they've got to hit the net more often, right? Like Pedersen, they've, they get the puck to him in that spot on, on the right side. And he's either too tentative and doesn't shoot quick enough, which has been one of my criticisms of him on the power play for a long time, or he struggles to hit the net. And, you know, of those two things, he's really got to test goaltenders when he's going to get the puck to the net. Um, because otherwise you're, you're wasting an opportunity with a shot. Uh, Batch, always really appreciate the time, man. I, I hope for your sake, if nothing else, that uh, the season becomes more fun in a hurry and maybe a win is sprinkled in there. <laughs> here here or well, there, that would be nice. Yeah, it would be. Although, you know what? The games have been entertaining, right? Yeah. You, you can't say that they haven't been exciting and, and there have been lots of goals. So uh, as a play-by-play guy, I'll take that. But, yes, some wins would be nice as well. And certainly tomorrow on home ice in front of all the fans, uh, I hope they can get it done. Thanks, Batch. Thank you. That is Brendan Batchelor, of course, the voice of the Canucks, uh, who will be calling the home opener here on 650 tomorrow. Of course, David Jones, former NHL player, stepping in to do color as Randeep uh, goes back to Hockey Night Punjabi for Saturday. Uh, always appreciate Batch's insight there. We're going to take an early break because we've got a lot of audio, uh, including a, a good chunk from Coach Bruce Boudreaux on the day off or a day of off-ice activities anyways for the team ahead of the home opener. So I want to listen to that and have a chance to digest it. We'll do that after the break. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Final segment of the day. Final segment of the week here on Canucks Talk with myself, Jamie Dodd, my co-host, Thomas Drance, ahead of the Canucks home opener against the Buffalo Sabres tomorrow night. You can keep uh, texting in 650-650. We threw out the prompt. Uh, give us your loaded up top six. We will get back into that before the end of the show. Uh, but again, uh, Bruce Boudreaux spoke for a while today, so I want to make sure everyone gets the chance to hear that, that Drance and I have a chance uh, to digest it a little bit. So you can keep sending in your loaded up top six, how you want the forward lines uh, to look going forward, or at least your brainstorm idea. As Batch said, there's not a lot of bad ideas right now when you're in the spot uh, that the Canucks are in at the moment. So hit us up 650-650. But first, here is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux on a day off for the team ahead of the home opener tomorrow. Uh, we just went through a lot of clips of the last game, and there's so many positives that it's a process that we're, if we keep doing the right things, these uh, you know these losses will turn into wins, and they'll stay wins for a long time. Is it more to the point now of uh, you know, the, the emotional part of it or where that is as opposed to the, the technical part? Is that going to change? No, I think our emotional part, we've been in, look, it's not like we're going out and playing and losing 6-1 every night and getting outplayed. I mean, uh, we're right there till the end in every game we've played this year. And it just hasn't bounced our way in the last seven minutes of the third period. And so, I mean, we haven't had that luck. but. I mean, the things we're doing so much better than we were doing a week before, which we were doing better than we were doing two weeks before. At that continued pace, I, I, I'm really like excited about what's coming up. How much is this different? Remember in mid-March, you were bemoaning the fact that you guys couldn't score in the first period. You couldn't score a first goal, and you're mm -hmm. wondering about how are we going to stay in this thing? I mean, do we need a, a sports psychologist? Like, what are these guys all about? How much different is this? Because you guys are getting well, leads. Yeah, the, the difference the difference is is right now. I think, and I'm 
telling them is they're holding their sticks trying to squeeze the the, the steel right together like I mean when you get back in you look at uh, sometimes in the th other than the Columbus game where we had 16 shots we've sort of been waiting not to lose rather than playing to win like we've been doing in when we've started every game and and in the first two periods come out and, and played really hard and uh, uh, but now we're you know and it's a little confidence factor in the third period and I think if we can uh, you get the one the one successful win I think that'll turn a lot of stuff around when you came in last year the team was so far back I don't think anybody thought you could actually make a, a run for the playoffs so people got excited with the finish you had, but in a way it, it was almost like a bonus because so little had been expected. How different is, do you think, is this season now that these same players are expected to win and they're supposed to be a playoff team versus it just being kind of... Well, the playoffs aren't won in October, I mean, unless you're playing baseball. I mean, uh, uh, I, you know, I look at things in a positive light all the time, or I try to. I mean, uh, I was, you know, we've gone through the parenting where you're tough on them and then you build them back up and everything else. But I mean, uh, like, I mean, now, I, what are we, four points out of a playoff spot with 75 games to go or 77 games to go? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like you're 18 points out and you're, and you're playing like crap and, and uh, you're waiting for the, for the, you know, the something really bad to happen. We're, you know, we're, we started five games on the road. Now, granted, the games we're playing at home aren't easy. Like, I mean, I mean, we're playing tough competition, but I, I like the way we're trending, and I think we're going to trend in a positive manner. Bruce, what's the stretch been like for you mentally? Same one. I've been through all this before. So it's a, um, you keep an even keel. I try not to read anything you guys write and um, try not to watch too much TV uh, other than the game itself. And, and just sort of stay in my own little zone and, and just do what I, we do to prepare for the games. And uh, I've just been through this so many times that I know if we keep doing the right things and, and stay upbeat about it, that good things end up always happening. We asked you earlier about Quinn and the fact that he seems to just lap up the ice time 28 minutes the other night. He's only he's second to Dowdy in terms of minutes per game. Is, it, is there a ceiling on Quinn? Can you well, yeah. Well, we don't want him to play that much, but, I mean, you get situations where there's been a couple games. We've gone down to five defensemen during the game, and he's playing, and he's playing uh, more, than, more than he should. And uh, that's, that you know, in, in essence, we believe that, I mean, 23, 24 minutes is probably where he should play, but out of necessity, he's had to play more. That ice time, when we get healthy, will be down. Even pre-COVID here with Quinn Bruce, he seemed to have this thing about him where he just handled everything with such a plum, like he never seemed to get rattled. I don't know if that comes from his family lineage in hockey, his mm -hmm. dad, or the fact he played in elite programs. Have you, have you noticed that about him, just as a coach, how he seems to just handle everything and being able to... He's, he's a pretty uh, calm, um, calm demeanor. You never see him get too excited. Uh, but I, the one thing I do know is he wants to win very badly. And if, when things don't go well, that it really bothers him because he wants to win so badly. we got so many guys in there that want to win. If you had a, been near the dressing room after the Columbus game, I mean... The sticks breaking, the frustration, because we knew we played a good game and we just didn't close the door again in the third period. But 
uh, I'm, uh, I look at records of leading after the second or tied after the second and all the teams end up with a really impressive record. So I believe that's going to happen to us. We're not going to be the anomaly that all of a sudden leading after two is not going to be, uh, is going to be a negative factor. What do you tell GT? Pardon me? What do you tell GT? About what? About his game. What, what advice or support or counsel do you offer him? Well, I mean, I thought yesterday he competed really well. He didn't show frustration, which is, you know, which is great. He, he's very talkative on the bench as far as being positive towards the group. You know, I mean, uh, he knows that he's probably got a lot of weight on his shoulders thinking he has to do a lot of the stuff to, uh, to be successful. But, I mean, uh, as long as he continues to, to be uh, competitive as he is and w the will to win and the good teammate that he is, then I think then the, the other stuff is going to happen. I mean, every scorer, every player that I've ever played with can go eight or nine games without a goal and then score seven in three games, you know? I mean, that's, that's, that's what sports is about. It's not very rare to get the guys that are consistently getting a point every game and go 82 games without scoring only, without scoring in, say, eight or ten games. That doesn't happen. So, I mean, um, I, I've got no qualms about where JT is going to be and where he's going to end up and, and how important he is to this team. Bruce, is there any update on Stillman or Poolman or Dermott? Um, nothing to report, really, on any of them. Uh, uh, Dermott's still out. Uh, Poolman's being looked at right now, and Stillman's being looked at right now. And what, I mean, it's sort of a talking point in the market, at the very least, without a win, but what would it take for Jack Rathbone to, to get into this lineup? Well, I mean, I, I was sort of waiting for the home opener. So he'll probably be in the oil. Are you going to shave, waiting to shave until you win? No, that no, that, my wife gave me crap about that last <laughs> night. So she said, I never want to see you on TV without shaving, so i got to wait to get home tonight. The, uh, this is going to be on TV too, by the way. I know, and she's going to be mad at me again. How uh, imperative is it to fix the, the penalty killing? Too? Well, I mean, it's, I, I think you need your special teams. I mean, uh, power play uh, and, and penalty killing. I mean, uh, not to dodge the question, but I mean, uh, uh, the power plays had great opportunities in the last five minutes of the last two games to win it, and we just haven't been able to get the job done. But uh, the penalty killing, um, you know, I, again, it's a, it's a process. We weren't good in Edmonton. I mean, they got a pretty elite power play. And one of their power play goals was an empty net. So, I mean, uh, that's a little bit of, uh, uh, of a, you know, misnomer. But uh, I think uh, the last last game goal, when things are going wrong on it, like, I mean, you can kill the kill it and then a little deflection that goes over the, you know, the glove and, and that's in. But, I mean, we, we, I'll tell you, Mike is working so diligently and... Uh, hard at it and we're doing the exact same way we did it last year so it should be uh, it should be okay to uh, eventually we're going to be good at it that's what yeah, I'm saying Sabres put up a sixth spot on the Flames last night and also one in Edmonton do you, have a, do you have time to look at any film of what you're going to be I'm facing I'm going to be tomorrow? looking at Buffalo today okay. you know I mean uh, it's one day at a time okay, okay.
That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. Again, the team doing some off-ice activities. Sounded like some video work as well uh, going over the tape ahead of tomorrow's game against the Buffalo Sabres. And a lot to chew into there uh, from Bruce Boudreaux. But, you know, overall, big picture, Drance, we've heard we heard Boudreaux earlier in the trip, right, question the mental toughness of his team or at least say maybe that's something that's going on. That that press conference or availability, whatever you want to call it there, was very much the, you know, positive, good vibes Bruce Boudreaux, right? We're doing a lot of things well. No concerns about JT Miller. If we keep doing these things, we're going to get through it. I've been through this before, and you always come through it. That more than anything is what I take away from Bruce Boudreaux, but at least publicly and outwardly right now, he is very much not going to, you know, take the bait of throwing the team under the bus, calling out individual players. He's still trying to put uh, the positive spin on on things to the degree that he can. Well, and he's not lying that he's been through it before. I think the last duck season that he had, they started one, seven and two. So we're we're still a ways out from (laughs) it. Yeah. I think we would have lost uh, Drancer there uh, as we'll try to get him reconnected and back on the show in the final uh, few minutes here of the program for the week. But yeah, that was uh, that was my overwhelming takeaway, right? Is And look, that's how Bruce Boudreaux has made his career to a large degree, right? Like he is kind of a quintessential players coach. He's going to... He's going to be that kind of guy, that kind of leader when he's in charge. And I think, look... we're still so early in the season. If you go down the other path and you come out and you just rip into, you know, a guy like JT Miller, who's not playing particularly well right now, I think you run the risk of really further derailing your season. If you do that this early in the year, you know, instead what he said was, Hey, yesterday I thought Miller completed really well. He's got a lot of weight in his shoulders, but ultimately no qualms uh, about JT Miller ultimately performing. And that was kind of, the consistent message from Bruce Boudreaux. Not that he's not concerned, not that there's you know, a shortage of things that they need to improve on, but a confidence that, one, it's moving in the right direction, and two, that they are going to find a way uh, to get through it. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Just a couple other of notes from uh, Bruce Boudreaux's availability today. No update on Travis Dermott, still out. Poolman and Stillman being evaluated right now, so wasn't able to give us an update on those injury situations either. And I thought his commentary about Quinn Hughes and the minutes uh, was interesting as well, right? Just straight up saying, look, we don't want him to play that much. 28 minutes a night, that's too much. Uh, we want to get that down to 23, 24 minutes, something like that. Uh, and it will come down when healthy. And I, I did think it was a decent point he made, you know, not only have there have been guys missing games on the blue line, but there's been guys going out of the game midway through the game, right? So all of a sudden you're down to five defensemen for log stretches. And in that scenario, in close games, yeah, Quinn Hughes's minutes are going to spike. But I did think it was a good sign that uh, there was a recognition from Boudreaux of, yeah, they got to find a way ultimately to get those minutes down for Quinn Hughes. While we try to get Drance back on the line, uh, let's hear from JT Miller, who also spoke to the media after the off-ice session for the Canucks today. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, you know it's a tricky situation. You know, I don't think we felt like we deserved to be 0-3 and two to start in the road trip, especially when it's a road trip that could have you know record-wise really set the tone. But you know, I think we have a lot of belief in the locker room, and you know, especially the last you know eight out of the last nine periods, we believe we've played really good hockey. Um, one was a back-to-back, another team that's a really good team that hadn't won yet either. I mean, we got points in those games 
you know, it's 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 happier in there than I think the outside world thinks. And I know our record is not where we want it to be, but at the same time, it's just a long season, and uh, we're doing a lot of good things right now. And we just need to build off that, you know, going into the tough schedule at home here. You said you've said many times when your feet are moving, that's where it all starts with you. Do you feel that you got away from that a little bit early in the, in the year? Um, you know, besides the. You know, in the Philly game, I wasn't, I didn't play, and I, I agree with what you said. Um, you know, I, I feel like the last couple of games, I, I've actually started to get, you know, more comfortable. You know, I feel pretty good. Um, I told you guys at the beginning of camp, I'm, my main focus is being hard to play against five on five, and um, you know, I feel like I've been pretty good on my own end, and you know, winning puck battles and being smart and responsible. And um, at some point, I think the puck will start ending up on my tape a little more. But right now, it's kind of hard to come by it. But I'm trying to be patient and. You know, I think that, you know, once we, you know, for myself, you know, the game will, you know, the timing will get better, the game will open up. But I think that it's important for me to not be impatient and change the way I'm playing. I think that at some point it'll just, I got to believe that it's coming. Everyone goes through these. You guys have been through this so many times in your, in your careers. Uh, it's always the age-old question, how do you get out of it? And do you feel like you're getting, you guys are I don't feel like we're, yeah, I don't feel like we're in it. Like, yeah. you know, I think, you know, it's not that bad. It's five games. Uh and we're trending in the right direction. Whether uh, people realize it or not, um, well, we, you know, we have a ton of belief. It's upbeat in there. We're excited to play tomorrow. We're excited to be home. It's not down. You know, there's moments of the road trip that we're pressing, no, no question. But you know, it's going to make us stronger at the end of the day. And I think it's important that we go through and you know, guys that haven't been in the NHL and been in a situation to, to go through a situation like that, and we learn from it. We talk about it. We learn from it. And you know, I think at the end of the day, it's going to make us a more mentally tough team. You know, later in the year. And power plays in the final five minutes of the last two games with the game on the line. I mean, how disappointing is it that the power play hasn't been able to just sort of be the difference maker? Yeah, especially last game. Uh, you know, we pride ourselves on, you know, I always say getting momentum and being a difference maker. And, you know, it's a lot of games in the NHL come down to penalty kill and power play. And, you know, we did about as much as we could last game to score. And on those two, two, uh, on the two uh, chances we had, especially in that last one, I think everybody had a scoring chance in that, in that little sequence. So, once again, we're, we know it's a long process, and we feel good about the power play last game. I think it gave our team momentum, and they didn't go in the net, but there's sometimes where uh, you know everything you shoot seems to hit off somebody and go in. So I think we have faith in it. Um, we're happy with how the last game went, but like I said, we've got to make sure we're stringing a couple games together. I don't want you to dwell on it, but I just wonder in that moment, like, what's that like in overtime there where it's just completely frantic before they... Oh, geez, I was in a blackout. I was just trying to stay close to the net, and... Uh, Try to eat a puck if they were going to shoot it from the top. I mean, it was kind of a crazy little sequence there. Um, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't wish that moment on anybody. That's pretty exhausting. You've talked a little bit about belief um, throughout this here tonight. Um, how do you keep that belief personally and in the locker room when you're going through a bit of a rough stretch? Well, this is our job, and we're you know we got to be men about this. Uh, there's going to be times where you want to quit, and there's going to be times where you want to you know go to a different game plan and get on your own page but at the same time like we got a job to do and we have a plan and a process and we got to stick to that because it's an 82 game season and as we showed last year things can turn very quickly so the more games and more periods we play good hockey things are going to turn for us and for the team and individuals so I mean, we got to really be mentally tough in times like this that is Canucks forward JT Miller and uh, you know a lot of similarities between what Miller had to say and what Bruce Boudreau had to say Drance in terms of hey positivity we're going to get through this we have confidence we're trending in the right direction doing a lot of good things and you know I think 
I know they said this after the Columbus game too, right? Hey, uh, we were really happy with their game. I wasn't really thrilled with that game, but I also understand the idea of putting that spin on it, right? And 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 that being the messaging going outwards. I, I completely understand, even if there is maybe a little bit more concern internally, that that's what you're trying to put out there when you're talking to the media. Yeah, I think the fact is too is that while some of the optimism is surely a pose. I think there's more grounds for it coming off of the Minnesota game than there was off of the Columbus game. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you know, JT's analysis of the power play is dead on like bullseye. No question. If they play like that regularly and, and honestly, really since the third period of Washington, their power plays looked really lethal in its opportunities. They just haven't been getting bounces. They're not going to shoot. They have way too much finishing talent on that unit to be a 6% conversion rate over the course of the season. Those goals will come, and that's the difference in some of these close games. They are playing close games. They've only got one clear defeat on the season to this point. It's, you know, it's just that it is early, but it gets late quickly, right? Like, that's yeah. the issue. There has to be some urgency to win here, because otherwise you're really looking at an uphill climb. And you're already looking at a little bit of one, but, like, let's say it's like an incline, like a – 5% incline, sure, like a, a sure. warm-up walk on a treadmill still. But it gets it gets arduous if you if you lose, like, two in a row more. Yeah. Right? Two in a row more. Yeah. I mean, then you really have to be – then you really have to be on a streak and fast to avoid falling out of it. So, you know, I, I buy a lot of what they're selling, truly. And, and I think I've tried to repeat that. Like, I'm, I'm more critical of this franchise's overall direction than mm-hmm. I am of this team's performance in the early going. Right? Um, the fact is, is that there's a lot of things that have gone wrong for them that I don't think will continue to go wrong for them. Goaltending is one of them. JT Miller's performance is one of them. Quinn Hughes is not looking quite like Quinn Hughes in huge minutes is one of them. Like all three of those guys, I know what they can do. We all know what they can do. They can help this team win games. In fact, they can be the sole reason this team wins games. To this point, they haven't been. There's going to be weeks, months, certainly individual games where they are. And, you know, as that turns around, I do think we're going to see the Canucks look a bit more like we expected them to. It's just a question of whether or not what we expected is good enough, Mm -hmm. considering, you know, just how long it's been since this team was imposing in this league. The other thing that stood out to me there just quickly from uh, JT Miller was, you know, him saying started to feel a little bit more comfortable the last couple of games. I also thought it was interesting the way he said, you know, it's been hard to come by the puck on his tape right now, but he's trying to be patient, Mm. trying not to be impatient. You know, that'll come. And it wasn't a pointed commentary, but it did bring to mind the point you were making. And we were kind of kicking back and forth to start the show, right? That. You know, Miller's not Bo Horvat, who kind of picks the puck up in his own zone and then rushes it the length of the ice. He might need a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say help, but, you know, effective play from the back end. Again, I don't know that that's exactly what he was talking. He could also just be talking about kind of the bounces, right? You know, bad bounce here or there, and you don't get a chance uh, to really control the puck and make a play. But I did think that was interesting, given our conversation earlier, right? It's, it's been hard to come by the puck uh, on my tape right now. Yeah, his line has not spent a lot of time beneath the hash marks. No. Right? I mean, we know that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there is a team concept thing going on. The fact is is that no Canucks line has spent a lot of time beneath the hash marks uh, in the offensive zone except Elias Pettersson. 
right? Like there's really been only and, – and there have been good performers, right? Like Pod Colson, Kuzmenko, Bo Horvat's been productive. I think Brock Besser's doing a ton considering the fact that he hasn't got a chance to play with Pedersen yet at 5-on-5 five five and, and isn't playing PP1 and still has four points in five games. I mean, I, for me, that's a, a huge positive. But, you know, right now – only one line is making it work at five on five. And when you see all of the moves that it's taking, like all of the anticipation, all of the moments of, of individual stick handling brilliance that it's taken for that one line to make it work. Like, is it reasonable to expect anybody to be at that level to simply consistently possess the puck? You know, for me, it's not for me. That's a team concept thing. You need to be able to get more uh, from from a five-man unit as opposed to just skating uphill with the forwards responsible to generate everything for this team. And that's just what it's looked like to me the last few games. And, and I think it's what's made the Canucks easy to play against late. And, and, you know, I don't say that lightly. Like, with the game on the line, they've been unlucky occasionally. I think Columbus they were a little bit, certainly on the power play. I'd even say Minnesota on the power play they were unlucky. Uh, Philadelphia, I think that entire third period was unlucky. I, I, I liked their third period in that game a lot more than you did, Jamie. A running argument we've had since <laughs> it happened last weekend. But that Washington game, that Edmonton game, and that Minnesota game, like Vancouver was on the back foot in the, those third periods. Like there wasn't even a threat that they might take the lead again or that they might score. It was really just hanging on. And that to me is sort of what easy to play against in a tight game means. It, it means you're not under, you're not putting your opponent under duress at all. Uh, that sort of pressure needs to be applied. And, and, you know, JT Miller is one of the guys who you need to do it for you, but also he can't do it alone. He needs a little help. He needs to be able to get the puck in stride. He needs to be put in spots where, you know, he looks faster. He's not significantly slower than Ryan Hartman. It just looked like it last night because of the environments that both players are playing in. 650-650 here. Uh, this is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Final few minutes of the show for the week. We got a little uh, waylaid from this, but I did want to uh, run past just my or run past you my uh, quick back of the envelope, uh, drawing up some uh, a loaded up top six uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. Jamie's whiteboard. Yeah, Let's go. yeah, exactly. And and look. With, with a bunch of caveats here, but this is kind of off the top of my head and, you know, working in some of the parameters that I think the team is maybe working in uh, as well. So I did not reunite the lotto line, but I'll have Pedersen between Besser and Kuzmenko because I think Pedersen and Besser have great chemistry together, and I really like what I've seen from Kuzmenko and Pedersen so far as well. Uh, Horvat between Miller and Garland, and then Lazar with Podkolz and McKayev. We talked about that earlier in the show. And then I went with Neil Zaman, Dakota Joshua, and Tanner Pearson on the fourth line. I, I've been a defender of Tanner Pearson. Uh, certainly last year on the show, I was. I agree that you could make a case that Niels Hoaglander should be in the lineup above him right now, but I don't think that's what we're actually going to see from Bruce Boudreaux. So kind of staying within the parameters of reality, I had Tanner Pearson on the fourth line. So Pedersen, Kuzmenko, and Besser, Horvat, Miller, Garland, Lazar, Podkolz, and Mikheyev, Oman, Joshua, Pearson. What do you think, Drancer? I like it. I like there you it. There go. I want... Yeah, I like it. I'll, I'll just uh, I'll just vouch for that since we're out of time, and I want <laughs> to see what I want you to at least pick a couple fan responses that were you'll really rubber, good. You'll rubber stamp uh, what, what I was, but like, but like, obviously holding my nose while I do so because yes. there's no world in which Niels Hoglander isn't one of this team's twelve best. Players. I agree. I completely agree. But again, no as planet I said, I kind on of which that's a reasonable take. Set myself the parameter of working with that consideration since it seems to be what the team. 
uh, wants to go. All right, here's one from Reg, who has uh, Patterson, Miller, and Kuzmenko on the top line together, which is interesting, kind of the lotter line, but subbing in Kuzmenko for Besser. Uh, Horvat with Besser and Garland, Mikheyev, Lazar, and Podkolzin, so same uh, third line that I drew up there. And then Niels Amon, Tanner Pearson, and Niels Hoaglander, so bringing out uh, Dakota Joshua. So a lot of similarities there from Red. I like, I like that one better like, than yours. You like that one better than mine? I do, All yeah. right. Why? What about it uh, strikes your fancy? Oh, I like that Hoaglander's in the lineup. I yeah. like that fourth line a fair bit. Um, you know, I think the third line's interesting. I, I like the idea of uh, Horvat and Besser playing with, uh, with, Ho- with Garland to make plays, and, uh, and I'd be very curious to see what a – you know, a, a lotto line version with Kuzmenko looks like, although, you know, I still just want to see the lotto line. Like at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if this team is going to have a crew that comes out and wrecks opponents the way that Zuccarello and Kaprizov did to the Canucks in that third period or, or just throughout the game last night, their best bet's the lotto line. Like they, they have this line that's one of the best in the NHL or was in the 1920 season it didn't work for a few games last year while Besser was coming back from his core injury and Pedersen didn't look quite like Pedersen and they've abandoned it now for a year. And I just don't see why, like, I just, I still think in terms of what loads the dice for this team and gives them the best shot at, at having like a dominant top line. I just don't know that there's a better answer than that. Nate from Langley, he just gave the top six, but he wants to see the lotto line back together well as well. And then he has Pod Colson, Horvat. Uh, and Mikheyev, and he says Mikheyev makes the top six simply for the speed component. I got to say, I would like to see Mikheyev and Horvat together because, yeah, like the speed is instantly no- instantly noticeable uh, from Mikheyev. I don't know if the, if the other options, if he makes my loaded up top six, but I wouldn't mind seeing that uh, at some point here. You well, gotta, the, if the you have something to gonna, say, it's got to be real quick here, Drancer, just so you Okay, know. the Canucks are going to keep giving Mikheyev uh, a ton of looks in the top six. We know that from everything they've said, so... I think that's a more likely scenario than the other two we've gone through. Uh, All right, that is going to do it for us. We might have to revisit that topic because we kind of squeezed it in uh, at the end of the show here. But, uh, yeah, I have a feeling we'll have a chance to talk about line combos sometime in the near future. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. Enjoy the home opener tomorrow night. Canucks versus Sabres at Rogers Arena. You'll hear it here live on Sportsnet 650. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich is next right here on Sportsnet 650.